Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, soy-sold shoes going to Minnesota's frontline workers, childcare economic development grants, and legendary Golden Gopher volleyball coach Hugh McCutcheon. But first, 15,000 members of the Minnesota Nurses Association voted overwhelmingly this week to authorize a strike against major hospitals in the Twin Cities and Duluth Superior, as did nurses at Essentia Hospital in Moose Lake. Union leaders say it would be one of the largest nurses' strikes in U.S. history and affected hospital systems would be Essentia and St. Luke's in Duluth and Alina Health Partners, North Memorial, M Health Fairview, and Children's in the Twin Cities. Bill Werner joins us with that story, plus the week's political goings-on in Minnesota. Scott, the vote does not mean the nurses go on strike immediately, but they have authorized their union leaders to call a strike following a 10-day notice to hospital executives, presumably if contract negotiations remain deadlocked. Strike authorization is a tactic used to increase pressure on management to reach a tentative contract agreement that the union can live with. Wages and benefits are certainly a topic of discussion, but the nurses are highlighting what they say are chronic staffing shortages, which they say are jeopardizing patient safety. Emily Niskern, labor and delivery nurse at St. Luke's Hospital in Duluth, says this month alone she had to tell five women. I know that you are supposed to come in and have your labor induced. We do not have enough nurses to safely do that. These women have taken maternity leave. Grandparents are in town to take care of the older kids. The hospital bags are packed. And I have to be the one to call them and say, I'm so sorry. A group of metro area hospitals called wage increases that nurses are asking for unrealistic and unaffordable. Chris Rubesh with the Minnesota Nurses Association in Duluth responded, chronic staff shortages is the major issue that nurses across the state want addressed. Continuing to talk about wages is a deflection from talking about the real issue on the table. And perhaps if the decision makers of our hospitals showed up, willing to discuss staffing, uh, there would be other movement at the table. Twin Cities Hospitals Group said they were disappointed nurses' union leadership, quote, rushed into their strike authorization vote and continues to reject our offer of an outside mediator. The hospitals stressed it does not mean a strike is inevitable and say they will, quote, continue our efforts at the negotiating table to avoid any actions that would interrupt patient care. Officials at Essentia in Duluth said should it become necessary, they have contingency plans, that hospital says we are confident we can reach a new agreement that continues to support quality patient care and good local jobs. Republican candidate Scott Jensen weighed in, saying if he were governor, he would call leaders on both sides and ask, how can I help? But Jensen adds, It's possible that politicians getting involved may simply make the problem worse. So I don't think you jump right in. I think you call both sides and say, I'd like to you know, lend any use or utility of the governor's office the situation if that would get us to a, a faster resolution. We asked Jensen if nurses did end up walking out, would he use the governor's emergency powers to make sure that hospitals stay open? That would be a heavy hand of government to step in to this situation and say, I'm going to use emergency powers and demand this or that. I would not rule it out, out from the realm of possibility, but there would have to be an awful lot of circumstances pushing in that direction. 
Also this week, state officials said of the roughly 1.2 million Minnesotans who applied for COVID hero pay bonuses, about 214,000 were denied that benefit because they're not eligible under state law. Anyone who thinks differently has until August 31st at 5 p.m. to appeal. Nicole Blissenbach suggests people first look at frequently asked questions on the Minnesota Department of Labor and Industry website. It covers... All of the questions we could come up with that we anticipated people would have related to denials and the appeal process. Including what documentation is necessary when making an appeal. Blissenbach says certain groups of people were more common among those who were denied COVID hero bonuses. For example, those classified as non-employees. They may have been independent contractors. They may have been sole proprietors or business owners. Uh, but they didn't meet the eligibility criteria in the statute. Because they were not officially employees. Blissenbach says they also received applications from people who lived in Minnesota but did not work here, who also were not eligible for the bonus. Among the required qualifications, a person must have worked as an employee in the frontline sector in Minnesota at least 120 hours during the peacetime emergency. After the appeals period ends August 31st, officials then review the appeals make final determinations, and then calculate the check amount. It will be the same dollar figure for everyone. We're still optimistic that we will have payments issued in the fall. I know the fall is a long period of time, but it's really hard to pinpoint when, uh, but we do anticipate the payments will go out in the fall. The legislature appropriated $500 million for hero paychecks. Depending on how many appeals are approved or denied, each person will receive a check likely in the four dollars to $500 range. Voters in neighboring North Dakota will decide this November whether to legalize recreational marijuana for those 21 and older after the Secretary of State there verified petitions submitted by the group New Approach North Dakota. Fargo attorney Mark Fries. Support that we were receiving from citizens as they signed up I think is a pretty good indication that we're going to do just as well in November when, when the voters have a chance to vote on this now. Fries says the recreational marijuana issue has been on North Dakotans' minds for a number of years. I don't believe a great deal of advertising advertising is going to have to be done. I think the voters are, are now vested with the opportunity to let folks know that they'd like to have this, this initiative passed. Putting such a question on the ballot via petition is not an option in Minnesota. Legislation has passed the Democrat-controlled Minnesota House, but was blocked by leaders of the Republican-controlled Minnesota Senate. And funeral services were this week in Chisholm for State Senator Dave Tomasoni, who represented Minnesota's Iron Range at the legislature across three decades. He died last week at age 69 after a battle with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Senator Tom Bach says about his friend. No one fought more ferociously for the Iron Range than David did. And I, and I, I saw it in both caucuses because we've been in both. And where he would speak to an issue, how important it was to the communities that he represented in northern Minnesota passionately and uh, oftentimes sway some minds. Bach says his longtime friend and colleague was true to working-class people his entire time. You'd have to look awful hard to find somebody that had a better voting record on issues for working people than David because it was always at the forefront of the decisions that he made. What's good for people that pack a lunch bucket? That's what he cared about. One of Tomasoni's last official acts was spearheading through the legislature $20-plus million for research on ALS, which at this point is always fatal. Tomasoni was at the Capitol March 30th when Governor Tim Walz signed that bill into law, telling the audience with the aid of a computer. This is about making the future better. We can all be proud of that. 
This is truly a good day. There are few statesmen like that, that, that act in a selfless way. And he was, he, he was one of them. He could have easily curled up and given up. And that's not what he wanted to do. And he testified in committee on that ALS bill. This is not going to help me. But we have to do this because this is going to help other people in the future. Scott. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to fda.gov slash BeSafeRx. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. This summer, the Stepping Up from Farm to Frontline program aims to donate soy-based shoes to frontline workers around the state. It's the latest local effort that demonstrates the versatility of soy products. Minnesota Soybean Council CEO Tom Slonica explains. Yeah, well, it is an amazing program in that uh, it really shows consumers what all agriculture can do. I mean, we always we all know that uh, ag feeds the world, but you know, over the last uh, decade or so, we've been working hard to do a whole lot more than that: provide environmental uh, services and environmental benefits uh, to the entire world, and also uh, help them build roads and fuel their cars. And now we're actually helping uh, to put uh, shoes on their feet. So ag just continues to evolve and come up with new and better ways of having renewable products in our consumers' lives. Soy-based shoes. Talk to me about that a little bit. So about 10 years ago, the checkoff organizations, both national and state, started to uh, work with researchers that were finding new uses for soybean oil. Uh, Last year, we rolled out a major program with Goodyear Tires, and uh, so today, consumers can can uh, have soy-based tires on their vehicles, and and they come in all kinds of sizes, and and uh, a lot of the first responders are using them. They're renewable, they're recyclable, uh, and they wear really well. So, on the success of what the tires were doing, uh, Goodyear said, "Well, what else can we do?" And so they started working with shoe manufacturers. They really targeted it in on Skechers brand although there are other brands that have them as well. Um, and they presented them with a new tread that, again, is renewable, recyclable, and works really, really well uh, as a tennis shoe sole. Who are these shoes going to be going to? So the program that we're sponsoring is uh, we want to give these shoes to first responders. Agriculture, uh, you know, is all across the heartland. 
and we have close ties to all of the first responders. Uh, agriculture can be a dangerous uh, profession, and so we really appreciate all the first responders, and we want to give a little bit back. So uh, we're making these uh, thousands of shoes available to first responders, and uh, we want the uh, local community to get involved and raise a hand and say, hey, I know a really good first responder. I would like to see them get a pair of these shoes. So how do we do that? How do we get these shoes on the feet of these first responders? So the uh, website is up and running, and uh, it's where you can submit for submit uh, your uh, name into, and uh, it's uh, and th- those will be reviewed, and uh, there'll be winners that'll start receiving those shoes uh, anytime now. We've got a we've got a huge warehouse full of shoes, and and we hope to get them out as quickly as possible. Uh, Tom, you talked a little bit about the versatility of soy in products like tires, and obviously we're just talking about shoes here. What's uh, What does the future of soy look like, and what other products are we looking uh, to astonish people with that there's an, a, an association and a tie to soy? Well, uh, we have products that extend the life of roads by as much as 60%, and so that can save taxpayers millions and millions of dollars. We've got products that, that help uh, concrete remain more supple in the wintertime. And so, uh, again, both for roads and buildings and sidewalks, we can save uh, consumers a lot of uh, uh, money and time and effort on those types of products. We've got uh, products uh, that uh, make their way into glues and paints and carpets and countertops. The list is really very extensive. And every time we use soybean oil or soybean meal in one of those products, it makes that product renewable and recyclable. And getting back to the shoes for just one second before we uh, say goodbye here, Tom, I guess I have to ask, have you, have you had the shoes on? Have you tried them on? And how are they if you have? I got a pair on right now as we speak. <laughs> uh, they are very comfortable. And they're more than just tennis shoes. You can actually get uh, work boots, steel-toed boots. Uh, anytime you see that Goodyear symbol on the side of that shoe or the bottom of the shoe, you know that that's made from soybeans. If we do have somebody who hears this and is interesting in, in connecting um, a deserving person with these shoes, what is the website that they need to visit? Yeah, uh, we want people just to come to our usual website at mnsoybean.org, and you'll see a promotional link there for the Stepping Up campaign. While you're there, you can learn all kinds of things about what Soybean Checkoff is doing uh, and a lot of our other initiatives as well. Thank you to my guest, Minnesota Soybean Council CEO Tom Slonica. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. There's still time to apply for child care economic development grants through the state. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. The deadline to apply is fast approaching no later than 4 p.m. on August 30th. Joining me today to discuss the grant program and who is eligible to apply is Brandon Toner with the Minnesota Department of Employment and Economic Development. Brandon, can you give us an overview of the program and who is eligible? It's important to note what, that when we say grants to local communities, uh, we are looking for organizations that are work either uh, community-based organization, local government, or a regional or local nonprofit agency that is working with the community 
to solve that community's childcare issues. We're seeing shortages across the state, um, and so we're looking for communities who are who are working with their stakeholders to put great plans together to increase the supply of childcare. Um, just anticipating a question you might have is, is this for an individual provider to get a grant for their specific facility? They're not necessarily excluded from participating, but they have to be, you know, a nonprofit. But there's a lot of for-profit providers uh, in this space. They, this is really about community planning and community um, engagement to, to deploy these funds. And so we're really looking for individual providers that may benefit from these to work with their local communities and partners um, on an application to, to receive these funds. Brendan, how much money do we have allocated in going toward this latest round of grants? So a total uh, this round, so five, uh, five million was appropriated. Um, the first round already went out, and that was uh, last year, around the same time, fall, late summer, fall. Um, and then this time around, another 2.425 million is available. So, um, so yeah. And then the maximum amount available is 300,000 per proposal. And um, to get the maximum, we want to see a proposal that is aiming to serve more than just one individual provider. So you can imagine um, an organization saying, okay, we're going to work with a number of different centers to expand their capacity that they might be out they could request up to 300,000 but if it's a single facility proposal the maximum that they could request is 150,000 I know you hit on this a bit but I think it's definitely still fair to say that we continue to see daycare shortages across the state I know that we saw things kind of uh, bubble up even more uh, throughout the COVID-19 pandemic Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's very much so across the board. And there's a great resources and research that's being done to identify the the amount of the, the, the amount of the need and where that need is. And our RFP tries to target those resources where it's needed most. So we're looking for communities to step forward and demonstrate to us. Yes, here's a shortage. We've looked at the data. We know we need this. Uh, we know that uh, that these investments will be successful in meeting uh, an acute need because, you know, these funds are limited and we can't, you know, this is a fairly modest program and we're not going to be able to solve the entire statewide crisis with these funds, but we hope that we can target these funds uh, to those communities where it's needed most. Well, Brandon, lots of good information, but we're about out of time today. Anything you wanted to, to leave us with or hit on? Well, I mean, I guess I would draw you draw your attention to uh, a recent effort uh, led by our agency, the Minnesota Business Vitality Council. So the business, Minnesota Business Vitality, just very briefly, the Minnesota Business Vitality Council is a committee uh, enterprise-wide of all the commissioners across the enterprise um, and they come together and they identify unique issues to address and figure out how we can either solve those problems via executive or agency action or develop a recommendation, usually both, both recommendations and actions. Um, and we, re the most recent um, uh, Minnesota Business Vitality Council sprint we did was focused on childcare um, and how we can um, encourage and increase the supply of childcare. So, you know, we're doing this work in the context of that larger 
initiative and and I would call you know and that includes our partners at Minnesota Department of Education uh, Department of Human Services that are also deploying a number of great resources to increase the supply of childcare. So this isn't just an isolated program. This is part of a larger effort um, overall to address the childcare crisis. Thanks again to my guest, Brandon Toner, with the Minnesota Department of Employment and Economic Development. For more information on this latest round of child care grants, you can head online to mn.gov forward slash deed. Again, that's mn.gov forward slash deed. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The University of Minnesota volleyball team went to the Elite Eight last year and is hoping for even bigger and better things this season. The Golden Gophers started preseason practice last week and are looking ahead to the season opener against Baylor on August 26th. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with legendary head coach Hugh McCutcheon about his team. We're pretty good and we're going to have some uh, some decisions to make here, but, but I think, you know, right now it's just can we work hard? Are we bringing the right intention? Uh, we get better. You know, the, the hard thing about the way it's set up for, for volleyball is, you know, you get two and a half weeks to train and then you go and, and not just go, but you go with, with meaningful matches with stuff on the line. So it, it's, it's going from zero to 60 in a heartbeat. And we got to, we got to ramp up. Obviously we got to take care of today, but we also got to be mindful of what's to come. And the goal is to be our best in December, but um, yeah, we, we got, a lot of things we got to figure out in a short amount of time. How is that to manage as a head coach uh, a roster like that where you have a limited, in volleyball especially, right? It's a little like basketball. It's a limited number of players who can play, you know, at – you know, at sure. one time, but you might have twice that many players capable of playing Big Ten volleyball uh, to try to keep one everybody happy while also trying to win games the best you can. And and um, you know, ultimately, I suppose that's the end goal is to is to win the match. But uh, how hard of a, of a management situation is that for you and the staff to to uh, to sift through? You know, I think it's a good problem to have depth and talent. Uh, sure beats the alternative. And, right. and listen, we've never said we're going to be in the happiness business. What, what we're trying to do is build a high functioning team. And, you know, everyone that comes here understands that they got to compete and they, they got to earn it and, and all that stuff and, and, uh, and be able to accept decisions that, um, you know, are in some ways in their control relative to their performance, but in other ways, maybe they don't get to make the final decisions. 
Yeah, and that's kind of, I know that your word gets used a lot, the culture of a program, whether it's, you know, in volleyball or basketball or football or what have you. But there is, the, the reason that term is used a lot is because there is some significance to it, right? And just about what you're talking sure. about there. Yeah, I mean, it's, every program's probably got the the values or the principles that they're trying to adhere to. And the culture is a way that all of that's lived. Um, so we understand that we we hope to achieve outcomes, but but we're trying to be the best team we can be and and see what happens from there. A couple things uh, in re, in specifics about uh, your roster. I wanted to ask you, last year, obviously a successful season, Elite Eight, uh, contending right to the end for the Big Ten Championship. But there were some injuries last year. Taylor Landfair was the was the most notable. How has she looked? How is her health? And, and what, what's the latest uh, with, with what you're expecting from her? Yeah, she seems to be doing just fine, which is great. Um, and, and yeah, we're excited to see what kind of season she has. But obviously very talented. And uh, I thought in light of her injury, we were able to have a really great season last year. Um, and and I think it was really good for her in, in lots of ways to, to grow and develop as a teammate in ways other than just outcomes on the court. So, she, I think she benefited in some ways, even though she wasn't able to play, but uh, we're excited to get her back in the fold, that's for sure. When she is clicking, and if you're getting what you want out of her, what type of player and what kind of impact, uh, you know, what, what kind of things will we see? Well, certainly she can be dominant. You know, there, there's no question. She is, uh, you know, a unique physical talent and, and I think brings the other stuff with it. You know, she's uh, prepared to work and, and, and trying to learn and make change like everyone else. But, um, yeah, I, I think when it's all lined up, it's pretty good. Yeah. CC of course is back a uh, super senior, I guess. Is that, is that the term we can use for her and how excited? Sure. Yeah. How, how yeah, excited? yeah. Maybe in a year or two, you'll, you won't have to worry about that so much, but we still got some more ripples from that yeah. COVID legislation. But anyway, yeah, yeah if there yeah, was something, something good coming out of COVID, I guess it's that you, you get an extra year out of some of your really good players. And when we say super senior, uh, it's more ways than one. She's such a super player on top of it. Uh, what's it mean to have her back kind of, I guess, running the show a little bit. Yeah, I think it's good. It's a win-win. You know, I think um, for lots of reasons, we've seen some real good stuff from CC, but I don't think we've seen her best. Um, but, you know, already in this week of practice, it feels like a, a, a nice shift in terms of intention and execution from her. She feels very steady and kind of rock-like back there. So, yeah, I'm excited for her. I'm really glad she gets another chance to have a crack at a season. And, um, yeah, I, I'm fired up to see what she does with it. And you have newcomers and transfers. I mean, they're all newcomers, but freshmen and transfers as well. And some even enrolled early, right, in January. So how has that yeah. transition gone and what kind of impact can can that group of uh, athletes have? Yeah, well, Carter Booth and uh, Julia Hansen and McKenna Wooker all decided to come early. Um and, you know, I think they, they would all say they, they benefited from it relative to the idea of uh, learning. You know, we get a big chunk of time in the spring to learn about technique and systems and all that kind of stuff. Also getting acclimated to student athlete life without having to deal with the rigors of competition and, and even just, um, you know, physically preparing for what's to come. I think spending some time in the weight room and building the engine is probably a good thing too. So yeah, they, they all seem, uh, 
very happy that they came early, that they've done well, and um, we're uh, excited to see the impact that they can have on our season. That's Gopher Volleyball Coach Hugh McCutcheon with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.